Father, we give thanks that we have the opportunity to hear your word. Father, we give thanks for your word that cuts through uh, all things. We thank you that your word is living and true and can speak into our lives. We pray this morning as we hear your word read and preached that uh, you may speak to us, that you may um, challenge us, that you may convict us, you may teach us, that you may uh, help us to grow in our love and faith. Just be with us um, as we listen and be with Paul as he preaches. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Bruce is going to come and bring us the Bible reading, after which we look to Paul for the message. Thank you. Beginning from Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had sent rain had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. 
From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east, of, east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Thanks so much, Bruce. And uh, it's wonderful to be back with you here at Victor Harbour and to catch up with you all. Uh, Sue and I always enjoy uh, travelling down here, but especially catching up with the people who are here. And uh, we, we keep hearing updates on what's going on. Very encouraged. Wider in the network, it's probably worthwhile just letting you know how things are going in a few spots. So uh, earlier this year, you may be aware that three new church plants uh, kicked off. Uh, one sort of west of the city, one at Campbelltown, one at Tonsley. And uh, if you'd asked me 12 months ago, you know, COVID space and everything like that, is this the perfect time to be planting new churches? I would have said to you, no, 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 I don't think it's a good time at all. And yet in God's providence, there's a sense in which he's gone before us and made that possible. And God has really richly blessed each of those uh, new churches and the other churches around the network have had similar experiences to you. You know, we've had the waves of in and out of lockdown and COVID and, uh, you know, everything. It takes a while just to uh, get momentum back, but it's uh, been really an encouraging year uh, across the network. As Shane just said, we're going to spend three weeks looking at the whole topic of work. And uh, for a number of you, if you're retired or a student or unemployed, you may think, isn't this wonderful? The church has put on a series of three sermons so I can have a nap for 25 minutes when I come to church. You may think this is not going to be particularly relevant for me. And yet I think you'll find as we dig into the Bible that the, the way the Bible defines work is not as narrow as the way we think about it. We tend to have a paid employment uh, yeah, sort of regime in our mind and yet I think the scriptures have a much broader definition of how we serve God in his world. So I, I think, I just thought I'd bounce it in because I think uh, we're all at different stages of life, but I think God's word uh, will speak to each of us, even though I do want to focus a significant attention on the way in which our culture thinks about work in terms of paid employment. So let's see how we go. There's an outline there in the leaflet, which hopefully will help you as we move along. And let me, uh, let me just pray for us as we kick off. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're, as we just heard, a God who rules over heaven and earth. Uh, you've created all things good. And Father, we, we know that you've created us for a relationship with you and serving you in your world. And Father, we ask that as we reflect on this today and in the coming weeks, uh, we'll be encouraged and strengthened. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It seems to me that our attitude to work can uh, 
be influenced by lots of different things. So it, it can be affected by when you were born. Um, most people throughout history have essentially just followed in the footsteps of their parents and what they did. Your father was a carpenter, you'd be a carpenter. Your mother was a seamstress, you'd be a seamstress. And actually throughout the world today, that's still the broad pattern. That is, it's a very Western concept that we get a choice about what we plan to do with our lives in terms of careers. Most of us around the world don't get that choice. We just, just follow in other people's steps. So when you were born, um, it can depend on the generation you're born into. So I'm a boomer, and boomers are notorious for being overworkers. Right? I remember my son, I was giving him a talk one day about when he was at university about just putting in a bit more effort and uh, you know, to try and get his marks up a bit. And he said to me, uh, he said, you know, thanks, Dad, good talk. And, uh, and then, he, then he sort of got this sort of ponderous look on his face. You know? he, said, he said, you know, Dad, I reckon one day... I might become driven like you are. <laughs> and uh, it's that Gen Z, you know, sort of a much more casual approach to work or to study. I still want just as much money, but just don't want to have to work quite as hard to get it. You know, the, the, sorry, I'm not trying to offend you if you're Gen Z, but, you know, the, they're just different sort of approaches as we think about, about work. It can depend on your stage of life. You know, uh, your thinking about work will be different if you're a student or if you're a stay-at-home parent or if you're unemployed or a retiree, you know, like we were talking about before. It can depend on the family you were born into. Uh, Sue's family, um, they expected all their four children would finish school, go to university and become professionals. That was the family culture. Uh, in my family, I'm the only one who actually finished high school of the four children. You know, it's just a different way of thinking, and those influences are quite powerful. The way you think about work can depend on the job itself. Uh, some jobs suit our talents, and sometimes work is just there to pay the bills. And you, you, you might do it faithfully, but it's not something that really gives you m much happiness or joy. But here's the thing, we all know that employment does occupy a big part of our existence. It's estimated that for an average Australian, uh, you'll spend or you will have spent 100,000 hours in the course of your life in paid employment. And that's, uh, in terms of time consumed, that's only uh, second to the number of hours you sleep. Right? So sleep, then, then work. But here's the thing, it's not so much the time that you spend on it, but the, the significant impact that employment can have on the way in which you feel about yourself. And you're in a social context, and just depending on uh, your age, so these days in, you know, I get into a social context and people will say, so are you, um, are you retired? You know, <laughs> I take offence at that and, you know, respond, but, you know, I don't take offence. But, uh, you know, like, but often, what's the first social question that you get asked in a group? People you don't know? What do you do? Isn't that interesting? And I know that it's sort of polite and sort of helps us, you know, get to know each other, but it's also a system of pegging, you know, working out where we fit. So where does work fit in God's schema 
for us in the world. That's what we want to look at. So let's dig into it. The Bible starts off, and we've just heard it read, talking about the fact that we are made uh, to work. So the Bible kicks off uh, with God, uh, the worker, getting his hands dirty. Uh, That is, God systematically constructs the universe uh, from nothing. No raw, raw materials at all. And he creates beauty and he creates goodness. And as we heard that Bible reading, you know that he's intimately involved with his world. He's the one who sustains it. God makes people, back in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, we're told God created mankind or humanity in his own image. And God entrusts to us the responsibility of working in this world. Uh, The verse before the one we heard read, uh, verse 26 of Genesis 1, our task is to rule over creation. Uh, Verse 28, uh, we're told to fill the earth and subdue it. When you get to chapter 2, verse 15, uh, we're told the Lord God uh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, here's the thing. Uh, God, the sovereign and all-powerful ruler of everything, he didn't have to create this way. Uh, He could have uh, created a totally self-propagating world. Think it through with me. He could have created a world where your gardens came already equipped with pop-up sprinklers, you know, that is, you know, a sort of self-maintaining sort of his existence. He could have created a world so that sheep, when they grew their fleeces, once a year would just line up, walk to a certain point and just shake themselves and off would fall their wool, you know, so it's shearing them. Or he could have created a world where when you're walking past a river and you felt hungry, the fish would jump out onto your fry pan and cook themselves, you know. Or there'd be lots of ways God could have created the world and if he'd done it that way, it would have freed us up, wouldn't it? You know, to watch more... Netflix and read books and ride our bikes and do exercise and have endless cups of coffee at hipster cafes. Is it Quaha? Is that the coffee shop down the beach? Yeah, like that's we just could have spent all our time doing that sort of stuff. But God has actually made us to work. And we're also created in the image of God. By which I understand that means God's made us to be uh, creative and to get pleasure from being creative. Almost all of us get satisfaction uh, from completing jobs in different ways. You know, whether it be, how many of you are gardeners? Love love working in the garden. Yeah, whether you see your garden flourishing, that gives you pleasure. Uh, Maybe painting a picture or sewing, or servicing your car, or just achieving your job. Like most of you who know me will know I have zilch skill when it comes to handyman stuff around the house. Well, I am hopeless, right? Uh, and I remember a little while ago, we had this dripping um, shower head in our bathroom, just drip, drip, drip. And Sue had mentioned it a couple of times, gently and kindly, you know, it'd be good if we could replace the washer explaining to me there was a washer that needed replacing. You know, very helpful, actually. And then, but I'd been putting it off, and then she went out one, one Saturday morning. I thought, now's the time. I'm going to get this done. So I uh, 
pulled the shower head off and the tap, I dumped the shower head with the tap and uh, replaced the wash, uh, put it all back together, it stopped dripping. You know, I felt inordinately proud of myself that I'd managed to replace this washer. As soon as Sue came home, I insisted she come straight into the shower and observe what was not happening anymore, right? But, you know, I felt like going out to the front garden, just hovering around the fence so that when neighbours come past, I could say, you know, what have you been doing today, you know? I fixed the washer, you know? So, I think most, not, not true, no, you know, you're probably much more skilled than I am, but most of us get joy from that sort of uh, thing. But here's the foundational thing. If you're a believer, then your ultimate boss in this world is always God, no matter what you do. Listen from Colossians 3, verse 17. It says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, this is the big idea, right, that is whether you're in paid employment, whether you're unemployed, whether you're a student, whether you're a retiree, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, we all have the same big boss, and that is God, as we serve him in our world, right, created to work. Then as the Bible moves on, uh, what we discover is that, that work, well, what we apply our hands to, will always have a fatal flaw. If we stopped at uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, if the Bible finished there, uh, then you would have to conclude that work was going to be just a terrific part of life. Totally in everything in balance, everything would be wonderful. But by the time you get to the end of Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the Bible, the ideal is totally shattered. In Genesis 3, God, the big boss, he is rejected and that rejection results in the corruption of everything in our world, including work. In Genesis 3, verse 17, God is speaking to Adam in the face of that rejection and pronounces judgment. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. Do you pick it up? Work now involves pain. Work is frustrating. Through painful toil, you'll lead of it. It'll produce thorns and thistles. And we all know that's true. My, it's been really wet, hasn't it? So my lawn's been growing, but I haven't had a chance to get out and mow it. But here's the thing. Let's say we have a couple of fine days and I mow my lawn this week Right? It looks absolutely perfect. I reckon by the time Christmas comes around, I'll have to mow it again. You know? uh, it's okay, I didn't know you were going to mow it more often. But do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it just keeps coming around, doesn't it? You're just sort of stuck with that reality. Our work is hard, verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food. And then here's the thing. Work is ultimately pointless. Verse 19 of Genesis 3. To dust you will return. I uh, catch up with a man who's a professor of medicine and he's just recently retired but he was one of the groundbreakers uh, in uh, technology to help people uh, with lymphoma uh, be treated for that successfully and what he's done has been picked up all around the world. Right? This guy's a world beater in this area. Right? So you would think 
here is one of the most ultimately satisfying jobs you could possibly have. And of course there are lots of upsides to that job. I've been meeting with him for breakfast every fortnight uh, for about the last 15 years. The last 15 years, the peak of his career. And do you know what? He has to work with frustrating hospital administration. It's not all joy. He has difficult patients, even though he loves helping them. There are, he gets tired and exhausted and he gets emotionally frayed because he's working in an area where people regularly die. He helps them, but they still regularly die. Do you understand? That is the nature of work in this world. And he knows it. That is the picture. And we all know it too. To dust, we will return. Made for work. Work has a fatal flaw. And then uh, we need to understand that there's necessity about work. You do need to work uh, to live, broadly speaking. Uh, God in Genesis 1 and 2 sets up a world so that Adam and Eve are there to cultivate the world for their own existence as well. It's the same idea that gets picked up on regularly when you go to the New Testament. So a place like 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, Paul's speaking to the Thessalonian church and he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who's idle and doesn't live according to the teaching you receive from us. And then later in verse 10 of chapter 3, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Uh, we do work to provide for our needs, food on the table, uh, for a roof over our heads, to care for our families, to provide generously for those who are in need, to be able to give away money for the work of the gospel in different areas. But can I just be clear, uh, having said that about 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it, it's talking there about those who won't work, not about those who can't get work. Uh, that, that's really important to bear in mind. Uh, we live in a society where those who can't work rather than be supported by those who do work, and I think that's entirely and relationally responsible. It's appropriate. Um, ever so briefly, uh, what we've seen is work is good, work is frustrating, work is uh, necessary. That's the sort of uh, um, short biblical framework for it. What I want to do is just stop for a moment and see if I can capture those big ideas in a couple of diagrams um, that I think are, have more application than to work, but might just be helpful for us as a snapshot of what's going on. Um, so the first one, uh, which hopefully, yep, there it is, great. Um, I'm trying to pick up on the, what's going on in Genesis 1 and 2. That is, God makes us, he gives us meaning and purpose. God also creates the world and it's good and we have responsibility to care for the world. Uh, essential ideas, a lot more to them, but that, that's it. If I flip then to this second diagram, uh, what I'm trying to capture here is what, what's going on at the end of Genesis chapter 3. That is, we've rejected God, there is broken relationship between us and God, and as a consequence, there's both a judgment on the world and on people. 
And when that occurs, instead of looking to God for our sense of meaning and identity, what we find ourselves doing, cut off from God, is as people looking to creation to give us our sense of identity and purpose. Now, do you get the fact that that's all back to front? It's all wrong. Let me flip to this third diagram, and I want to apply uh, this to the implications for our work. God uh, frustrates uh, judges, creation, and work. And instead of seeing ourselves as commissioned by God to care for people and the planet through our work, we look to our work to provide us with our sense of identity. Now understand, work was never intended to give us a sense of our identity and purpose. That was always meant to come from God. We're always meant to be people who worked for an other purpose, not our own sort of purpose, our own sense of identity. You see, work cannot provide us with an ultimate sense of meaning and purpose. Right? That's the, um, the snapshot of where we find ourselves now and some of the challenges we face. The, the framework I've just elaborated, of course, applies to everything in life, not just to work, uh, but nonetheless you can see its implications. What I'd love to do for just a few moments is now to try and pull out some of the implications of that, you know, try and apply it uh, to our thinking and uh, how we should live. First thing is this, and again the outline, in a post-Genesis 3 world, uh, we do tend to look to our work to provide us with a sense of our self-worth. Now, as Australians, we're not, this is not new for us, this has been a pattern throughout the history of our world. Most cultures have had clear pecking orders, almost a caste system when it comes to work, and which work we esteem the most. So the ancient Greeks, they look down on those who are engaged in manual labour. This is what Aristotle had to say. Uh, the citizens of the state must not lead the life of mechanics or tradesmen, for such a life is ignoble and against all virtue. Right? As far back as the ancients. Uh, contemporary in Australia, of course, we think exactly the same way. Uh, when uh, at the end of each year, year 12 students sit their exams, ATAR scores are published the following uh, you know, a couple of months later. And then as ATAR scores determine which courses people get into, and based on the uh, ATAR score, the higher the ATAR score, the more popular the course, and those popular courses will tell you what people think is important. It's just the way it works. So always at the top of that list are things like Medicine, physiotherapy, dentistry, mechatronic engineering, law, you know, they're always up there towards the top of the list. The marks are not based on how, how brainy you need to be to do the job. They're based on what we think is important as a society. It's interesting, isn't it? But that's exactly the way in which our culture thinks, and I suspect we are tempted to think. But God does not value anyone based on their gifts or their intelligence or their skills or their shrewdness or their jobs or their ATAR scores. God created each and every single one of us 
And it would be really strange, I think, if he valued some of us that he created more than others of us. Wouldn't that be weird? You know, if God looks down on this building and he says, ah, Duncan Andrews, you know, what a wonderfully gifted musician. I just love listening to his voice. Now, see, Paul Harrington, he is tone deaf, right, and a bit useless, you know, but you know, God doesn't look at us that way, you know? He doesn't view us according to that sort of picture. God doesn't think a high court judge is more important than a checkout person at Coles. And neither should we. But it is subtle, isn't it? You know, students, uh, it's tempting to value yourself based on your brains and how you're doing by comparison with other people. Or if you're in paid employment, it's tempting to see yourself measured by the job you have. See, and if you're, you're a worker and you have a job, how do you feel about yourself if you lose that job? You know, if you're no longer able to get paid, or you get a job that you don't like as a result, and it just becomes liberal. How does it affect your sense of who you are? See, in God's scheme of things, it shouldn't. If you're a stay-at-home parent, uh, often I'm talking to uh, parents who are staying at home looking after kids, and there can be a struggle to know, you know, how they fit and where they they operate. I get into conversations with stay-at-home parent, and if the topic of what do you do comes up, they'll normally say, not I'm a stay-at-home parent, they'll normally say, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. I think, what would you say just about one of the most important things you could possibly do in this world? From God's perspective? Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's interesting the way in which our culture can shape us. Or if you're retired, I think there's probably a few here in that category. Uh, how do you think of yourself? Uh, they talk about retirees suffering from a syndrome known as relevance deficit. The sense of the way in which they, they feel like people view them uh, as a result of them being retired. So let me ask you, for those who are retired, if the issue of career or job comes up, uh, do you describe yourself as a retired you know, teacher, baker, doctor, accountant? Or are you comfortable uh, with the position in life you have right now under God for serving him in this world? How do you see yourself? How does God see yourself? How do you match those two together? Do you understand what I'm saying? The job or the lack of job have nothing to do with our value in God's eyes. Really important to have that in place. Second thing I want to talk about applicationally is um, if you are working or you're thinking about uh, work, paid employment at this point I'm primarily focused on, does God want you to fulfil your potential at work? This, again, I think is a very popular idea in our culture, that uh, we ought to fulfil our potential and get joy from our work, um, that, that sort of idea. And what I often hear Christians or you know, believers saying is something like this. Uh, God wants me to be the best at my particular job, you know, baker, candlestick maker, garbage collector, 
uh, lawyer, whatever it happens to be. God wants me to be the best I can possibly be for Jesus. And at this point, it's less about what you do and more about trying to excel at whatever you do. Now, that actually sounds a little bit Christian, don't you reckon? It sort of sounds like it might have some biblical sort of merit, but it doesn't, okay? I don't think that does have any at all. Uh, And one of the reasons for that is because it is impossible and it places too much emphasis on work. So did did I do as well at year 12 as I possibly could have? No. I didn't. Did I do as well at law school as I possibly could have? No. Was I the best lawyer I could possibly have been? No. Uh, Have I reached my full potential as a pastor? Sorry to say, no. Uh, But I take it that you can't. That is, let's expand the category beyond one single focus. Uh, Does God want me to be the best pastor, husband, father, grandfather, neighbour, citizen, church member, sporting club member I can possibly be? Best in everything? Excel in everything? No. In fact, if you're like me, often those things seem to be in competition with each other uh, when I go through life, trying, trying to work them out. And here's the thing. In a world this side of Genesis 3, God has frustrated our ability to reach our potential. See, he's actually designed it so that you cannot do that. The only time you actually will reach your potential is when you go to spend eternity with him. That's the time when it'll all come together. To say we should excel or be the best we can possibly be at our work or our study, I think is to place too much importance on that area of life. Uh, Next week we'll actually talk about faithfulness and what that looks like in this space rather than excellence. You know, I'll bounce it around a bit more. So you might have questions about that. Just hold it in tension. But we actually fulfil our potential by trusting in Jesus and ultimately seeing God's promises fulfilled uh, for us. Third issue I want to take up is if uh, you're in paid employment, should you look for job satisfaction? So a good thing to look for, not to look for. Let me read you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Uh, the writer says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good uh, while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. Now, understand, it is good to have work And it is a bonus if you enjoy it, right? That's a good thing too. But it is unrealistic, I think, to feel that you're not going to have struggles with work. There will be stress. It will be difficult. There will be troublesome colleagues, unreasonable clients or patients, dishonesty, exhaustion, tedium. You know, that comes with, with work. You know, I, I love being a lawyer, I love being a pastor, uh, but at the end of the day, it's only God who can satisfy our deepest longings. Just a word of caution, if you enjoy your work, that is a good gift, but there is a danger with that. 
uh, th th there's a risk because if you enjoy it, you'll be tempted to dedicate yourself more to it because it feeds you so well, because you enjoy it so much. So there's that danger of idolatry, I think. And it will potentially squeeze out other things that are important in your service of God. So for some of us, that's something that we need to think about. Last point of application, what about work and money? Uh, should, as believers, should we aim for jobs that pay more money? Or should we change jobs if we're offered more money to work elsewhere? Or is the, the idea of money here sort of a sub-Christian, just a bit tacky? You know, we shouldn't be talking about that sort of thing when it comes to work. I don't think there's any problems for Christians uh, to earn stacks of money. And I don't think there's any problem for Christians not to earn much at all. I think both are fine. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the New Testament, uh, Paul there talks to Christians about how they should think about their wealth. He doesn't tell them to stop making money or stop being wealthy. What he tells them to do is to be generous. Being in love with money, that's the danger. And we need to keep remembering that. That is our culture. It measures people by what they earn, by where they live, by what they drive, by what they wear, by where they go on holidays. Now we're allowed to do that uh, once again. You know, that, that's the way our culture functions. But it is the Genesis 3 era. It's letting creation, what we earn, what we own, establish our value rather than the creator who gives us all good things to enjoy and to use for the benefit of other people. Okay? Ever so brief snapshot of, uh, of work in this world. The Bible tells us we're made in the image of God and that does involve, involve working. It actually reflects the character of God, the creator. It's satisfying, it's dignified, it's enjoyable to work. But this side of Genesis 3, even the best of work will be frustrating and tedious. I think here in Australia, uh, we as a nation, we overemphasise uh, the place of a job or the place of a career in providing us with a sense of who we are. And for those of us who are believers, uh, we had tempted to put a Christian gloss on that cultural norm and adopt it and try to Christianise it. Can I say as clearly as I possibly can, our work, whether you're working, retired, unemployed, our work has nothing to do with our value as people. It is just one way, one aspect in which we serve God in his world. So we'll keep exploring this in the next couple of weeks and just bounce it around together. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that when we look at your word, it is just so profound uh, in shaping our sense of who you are, where we sit in relation to you, what it means for us as we live in your world. And Father, we pray that these... Um, 
these truths will find their way into our hearts and minds, into our very bones, uh, so they will constantly be shaped by the renewing of our mind, by your word and spirit, as we seek to honour you in your world. And Father, we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.